Welcome to KidTech, the podcast series about the people and influencers behind the kids' digital media space. My name is Dylan Collins. I'm the CEO of Super Awesome. Uh, today, I am in New York City. I'm with Donna Fraser, who's director of the Children's Advertising Review Unit. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Dylan. And we are in an extremely historic building we've yes. just discovered yes. about, about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so this was where Nikola Tesla lived. Um, which, as as a huge physics nerd, right. um, is is a is a really big deal for me. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a very interesting space. Had we not known that, uh, I still think it was a very historic looking building. Just, for sure. You know. But it's 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 nice to walk into uh, to a place with some history. It is. And speaking of history, um, let let's talk about yours. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, how how did you go from or how did you get to being director of of uh, of Karu? What's your background? So I started when I kind of law school, I went straight into the music business, worked in the music industry for probably six or seven years at major record labels. Um, but while I was in law school, I took a class regarding Internet privacy law. Now, this is back in 1998 when COPPA was actually just being legislated. So and I had a professor, Paul Schwartz, who's now um, a professor at UC Berkeley School of Law and does a lot of um, seminars with Daniel Soloff. So I now see him all the time, which is really interesting. Hmm. Um, but I knew I wanted to do entertainment law, but the only other thing I was interested in was internet and privacy law. And, and my law school, Brooklyn Law School, is one of the few law schools actually teaching this, 98, 99. Um, after I left the record label, I took a couple of years working on my own, and someone called me, a former colleague, and said, hey, ESRB, the Entertainment Software Rating Board, has a job. They're looking for a lawyer who knows gaming, video gaming. And I was like... Prior to going to law school, I worked in the video game industry doing marketing. So he said, on paper, you're perfect. I said, yeah, on paper, I am perfect, but I don't know if I want to do this. Went for the interview, almost a two-hour interview. I walked out. I called him. I said, if I don't get this job, I'm going to be so mad at you. Um, it was exactly what I wanted. It was a new space. It was children's privacy. Um, ESRB was a COPPA safe harbor. They were the second FTC-approved COPPA safe harbor. So it was an opportunity for me to build a program um, almost – from the ground up with regards to expanding us into a kind of a global privacy compliance program mm -hmm. and just taking a look at everything that the video game industry was doing with regards to children's data and online data collection practices. Um, it was really interesting. And But I mean, in, around then, sort of 98, 99, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned sort of your music background, right? Because mm -hmm. it was just at that inflection point when the music industry met the internet yes and a lot of very very interesting things started to happen yes um but that i mean that must have seemed like quite a future facing position at the time because the concept of digital privacy was very very abstract very very right. abstract very new and right. when i went in house you know in 2001 when i graduated and went in house None of the lawyers in-house knew what COPPA was. Hmm. There was this lack of information, education about it. Meanwhile, we're building websites right. for artists like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, whose audience is clearly an under-13 audience. Right. We're collecting tons of data. Fast forward to, I think it was 2006 or seven, where the FTC had a case against the major record labels, including Sony BMG, um, for a million dollars. So that was the first million-dollar fine under COPPA was against major record labels. Really? Yes. I mean, yes. Are... I don't want to say I told you so, <laughs> but I told you so. <laughs> That's amazing. I doubt almost anyone knows that particular piece of, yeah. of, of information. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. And so l let's talk about Karu. And again, 
We have sort of a range of listeners on this show in terms of both American and European. Mm-hmm. So for our European listeners, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about, about right. you know, who Karu is. Yeah, yeah. So the Children's Advertising Review Unit, which is um, part of the Better Business Bureau, um, we kind of have two missions. One is to protect children from deceptive or inappropriate advertising in all media. So we're looking at print, we're looking at TV, we're looking at online, we're looking at everything. And it's also to ensure that in an online environment, children's data when it's being collected, is done so in a responsible manner. So KRU was um, the first FTC-approved COPPA safe harbor. And historically, um, probably in about 1997-1998, um, had updated its guidelines to include online privacy, which then served as kind of the impetus for COPPA. So the Federal Trade Commission kind of looked to KRU for guidance on this. Hmm. KRU's been around since 1974. Hmm. Um, so, but we moved into the online privacy space before COPPA was even legislated. Um, we were providing information on in our guidelines. So we kind of have gone full circle now with the recent TikTok case. Right. Um, you know, it's been 20 years of COPPA. Right. And in those 20 years, KRU has done um, over 200 investigative cases in COPPA alone. Does it feel like every day you wake up, you just want to say, I told you so? Yes. Do not love people. <laughs> And uh, because, I mean, again, and, and, and we feel this as well, I think that in the last 18 or 24 months, there has been more media attention on the subject of children and the Internet and digital yes. media generally. Right? Yes. And it's, it's so interesting to every day. It's just like we've been saying this, you and I in particular, right? We've been saying this in the environment for a long time. And to feel like you're banging your head up against the wall and no one's listening. And there are tons of examples out there. Mm. Bad actors. Right. Who are getting dinged by either state AGs or getting dinged by the Federal Trade Commission, um, yet companies still are not paying attention. I mean, look, I have the luxury and the pleasure of working with companies who want to do the right thing. Um, That makes life a whole lot easier. But there are tons of companies out there who I do believe want to do the right thing and don't know what it is. Mm. So how do we inform them? How do we educate them? I would love the FTC to do a PSA about COPPA, about children's online data protection. We would happily piggyback on that. I think industry would piggyback on that. Right. But to educate not just business, but consumers as well. I'm sure you hear it. I hear it all the time. Parents and users. What, why is 13 the number? Why am I being asked if I'm over 13? Which, by the way, asking that is a violation of COPPA, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but why is that the magic number? Right. Right. People don't even understand why that's the magic number. But, I mean, you know, it's an interesting way you frame what we have today. I mean, you know, I guess maybe five or six years ago, it felt like it was only the very biggest companies who felt they had to be compliant. And I think it's clear today that that has changed. I mean, if you were to think about that on a scale of like one to 10, right, where 10 is all of those companies and actors, where where do you feel we are in terms of that, the mission, I suppose? I think that a lot of more companies are informed Mm. and educated. I think it's a risk analysis at this point for them. Mm. They know that the law exists. At this point now, how much do we spend on addressing this? Because how much teeth is the FTC giving to this law? This recent TikTok case with a $5.7 million fine is huge. That should be a Mm. huge wake-up call, Mm. I think, especially to mobile app developers. I feel like in the web space, we've kind of covered it. People kind of know it's very simplistic. I think the mobile app environment is very challenging on every level, from ad networks to developers to content providers. I think it's a minefield. Um, 
I do think that more and more companies are informed. It just becomes, okay, where do I spend my money? Am I going to spend my money on marketing? Am I going to spend my money on protecting myself against something that may never happen? How do we build this risk in? My answer to that is that you may not want to join a safe harbor. You may not want to spend the money to join a safe harbor like Carews. But you do need to build this in from the outset of your product. You've got to build in mm. privacy. You've got to build in safety from the ground up. This has right. to be top priority when you're building your product. And um, when you think about, I suppose, the, the the various variables that are involved in all of this, the the FTC, the media attention, the various sort of state AGs getting involved, mm-hmm. the civil class actions. Do you feel one of those has been more impactful than the rest, or it's been a combination? Has anything surprised you, I suppose, out of that mix? I think it's a combination of things, and because it's all happening simultaneously, I think now it just seems like there's this, you know, the dam has burst right. on this. And I think now it's a combination of things because now also you have the media journalists who are now looking at these issues and saying, oh, my gosh, what's happening here? When you have people authoring papers about how much data is being collected about children and all of a sudden New York Times and Wall Street Journal are hopping on these and writing articles and calling you and I up and saying, hey, what's going on? Right. Um, I think all of that, the culmination of all of it is really drawing a lot of attention to this space. And I think raising the ire of regulators, right? So you have Markey coming out with with bills, you have regulators, Mm. and really across the board, internationally, what is happening. And on that point, I mean, how much of a factor do you feel that Europe's GDPR and GDPRK has been in driving attention to this or or in perhaps an increased focus by the FTC? Is that a factor? I I do believe it's a factor um, for two reasons. One is that if the U.S. wants to remain a player on the global landscape, We can't continue to operate in this very narrow box of 13. If the rest of the world is shifting, Mm. we've got to shift. Right. We have to address that. Um, You know, the other reason is, is that maybe we're not looking at what's happening globally, but we have to. Mm. Right. We have to look at the fact that our policies um, may be written for U.S. audiences, but we're dealing with a global environment on the Internet that has no boundaries and no jurisdiction. And we have to look at what everybody else is doing globally if we want to remain a player. Right. And do you feel, I mean, I've heard sort of not criticisms, but sort of observations about the FTC that they just don't have the resources mm-hmm. to really go after privacy because they're fundamentally structured as, as a trade body. Right. Do you agree with that? I, is, I, is that like, is that a fair assessment of, of one of the issues they have? I think it's fair. It's a fair assessment that they don't have the resources and funding and bandwidth. I don't think it's fair to say that they shouldn't go after privacy specific issues because that if that's not a consumer issue, I don't know what is. Right, right. Right. And, inc- um, and increasingly now exactly. versus, you know, 10 years ago. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. I, I don't think that they can parse it out and say it's not a consumer issue because I definitely believe privacy is a consumer issue. If you have a privacy policy on a website, that's a contract between you and that company. Mm. That's a consumer issue. And, you know, it's still, I suppose, in 2019, you know, versus 1998, somewhat of an abstract concept, Mm -hmm. I think, for people. I mean, do you feel that it is sinking in with parents more for their children? Is that, I mean, I I I guess there's a different answer to that question, depending on whether you're talking about California, New York, Mm -hmm. and and, and sort of the rest of the US Mm -hmm. versus versus Europe, etc. Do you think it's improved? I do think it's I think I think it's improved to some extent. I think the issue with parents is what's the harm, right? And that's always the issue behind COPPA is originally that was about a, a law trying to, you know, create an environment where children were safe 
um, on the internet and where they were free of harm? And that should always be the question that we go back to. What's the harm in this activity? Um, so when we're looking at how companies are engaging users, children or not, what's the harm in the activity? Mm. I think parents are becoming um, very consumed with a lot of the media attention, which doesn't always give all the facts. Sometimes it could distort what's actually happening in the technology. Sometimes it could paint a negative picture where there really isn't one. Um, but I do think that they're learning more. Um, parents have children who know more about the technology than they do. Mm. So it's hard to navigate that. So I think that parents talk to each other. They get these stories where it may incite fear. Next thing you know, they're just you know taking the tablets and the devices away from their kids and shutting it in a closet somewhere, right. which is not the answer. These are opportunities for parents to sit down and have conversations with their children. Uh, These are opportunities to learn and talk and figure out what is your kid doing? What does he like to do? What does he want to do? And figuring out limitations and learning from each other. I think that's really what this should be about. And um, Senator Markey has a uh, sort of what's been called the the COPPA 2.0 bill um, that's being discussed at the moment. And from from what I hear, there's, there's there seems to be a reasonably good chance that will get passed. How do you what what do you feel its its, its chances are? Um, it's always fifty fifty, I think. <laughs> but he has he has sponsored another bill that I think I would prefer to see that enacted first, which is with regards to giving the National Health Institute here in the U.S. Um, the authority to do in depth research about the impact of technology on children. Hmm. That information may better inform what the law should look like. Right. Um, and quite frankly, there are a lot of companies and organizations around the world that are doing these studies, right? So do we even need to have a bill? Can't we just find a way to get all this information together and figure out what's what? Hmm. But I do think it's important to figure out what the impact is before we start legislating again, because we may be really walking into an area where it's a fine line. And this, this again, is goes to the issue with um, also the UK's white paper on online harms, right? There's this fine line between, okay, harm versus fundamental rights. Mm-hmm. And where is where is that line? And how mm-hmm. do we not cross over it? Um, and I think that we may, COPPA 2.0 may actually walk that fine line also. I mean, it was the, the online harms paper sort of distinguished between digital privacy, which right. they essentially sort of punted into a separate conversation versus right. everything else. Mm-hmm. But even if you sort of consider that and, you know, that, that same distinction between sort of screen time and right. everything that goes around it and, and the design of user interface, I mean, digital privacy is still an issue that is there. Yes. And it's not a, a direct harm thing per se, right? right. But it, it does still create a risk. Right. When you start getting into how speech is being mandated, then you're walking into a fundamental rights issue. Right. Um, but I, I agree with you that, I mean, look, screen time, these are all things that, again, parents need to really engage with their kids. And right. I don't want to be in the business of legislating how to parent. Um, and I don't mm. think that parents want Congress here in the U.S. or regulators around the world telling them how to parent. Um, they've got to step up mm-hmm. and just take responsibility about before you give your kid this device, what does that really mean? What does it do? And there needs to be a bigger conversation. And I, and I have, I, you know, I confront this all the time. Parents may decide at home, your kid can't do A, B, and C. They can only have limited screen time. But the school sends your home, sends your child home with homework where it requires screen time because they right. want their homework done on a tablet. Um, so the conversation between teachers and parents needs to also be I think, more mindful about what parents are seeking and what environment they want their kids in. Mm. And presumably that also will need to include how these products are being created, That's right. you know, from a, from, a, from a technology platform perspective, because mm-hmm. it seems that 
you know, even when platforms are being built and, and, and implemented and that aren't designed for kids, you know, if there's a reasonable chance they are going to be designed for kids, there needs to be some thinking and awareness and, and psychological sort of assessment around what yes. that potentially means. Yes, yes, exactly. Which I think needs to become part of it. The, the, the I mean, just going back to, to the, the COPPA 2.0 bill, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that is included in that is the creation of the proposed creation of a privacy and marketing division, which that was the first time that we'd seen something, I think, um, you know, come out of what was being proposed that was specifically going to talk about marketing right. and advertising. Right. I mean, it, it, it appeared quite vaguely worded. Very, very vaguely worded. Um, it's concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this goes back to whether the FTC has the bandwidth and resources to do this. Right. Um, but I would ask that they engage with those organizations and companies like yours, like KRU, who are actually in the space doing the work before they start legislating all of this mm. to understand how this works, what the unintended consequences may be if you mm. go down this road. Um, having the FTC provide guidance on marketing, I think, could be very dangerous if there isn't a conversation with the people who are actually in the space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's my concern. It's it's great to talk to consumer watchdogs and pontificators, but you need to talk to the people who are actually doing the work every day, working with the companies who are actually trying to do the right thing. The flip side of that is, is of course, companies that seem to be deliberately not trying to yes, do the right that's thing. Right. So, I mean, you mentioned TikTok um, earlier on, mm-hmm. and, and they were fined $5.7 million mm-hmm. um, in January. And what I thought was particularly interesting was that I think it was two of the FTC commissioners came out and issued a statement that that seemed quite remarkable, that they were intending to go after um, executives in these companies personally right. for breaches of COPPA. Right. Was that, a, that seemed like a very new thing. How, how did it's you always, read that? It's really not new. So if you go back to, I want to say it was 2010, 2011, the FTC had a COPPA case against a company called Platum. Mm-hmm. And in that case, they also um, cited individually the CEO of that company. And he was also held liable. Hmm. And I, I want to say that that was a $3 million fine. Um, and that, that, that was personally leveled was, at him so or on the company? On the company. I don't right. remember what his fine was. But hmm. the president of the company was cited um, in the case. And I think the issue there was, I, I don't remember all the facts, but I think that where the FTC can prove that a CEO had knowledge of a practice that was ongoing and that you shouldn't be doing this and you continue to do it, Mm. um, you should and could be held liable. Hmm. And I think in the TikTok case, there was evidence when KRU presented our case to the FTC, we provided evidence to them of the CEO publicly speaking about wanting to target children. Um, And there was probably evidence along the lines of the number of consumer complaints they got from parents that you have actual knowledge. So on top of you having actual knowledge, you also are out there talking about trying to get this audience right. on your app. So should they be held responsible? I, I personally think that they should. Mm. Because, you know, look, if you're a captain of a team, you can't just be captain in victory. You have to be captain in losses, too. Um, so they need to be held accountable. And there was a similar position that I think was coming out of the online harms paper um, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that it was specifically about TikTok or were they aiming at that statement at other companies? I think I think TikTok was probably. probably Yeah, I think they probably instigated that. Um, And I and I get it. Hmm. I understand that. I mean, could it have been aimed at YouTube? 
Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's let's let, let's, let's talk about yeah. <laughs> let's talk about our favorite topic, YouTube. Um, I mean, the coverage on YouTube um, continues to get increasingly negative. I think that's that's probably a fair assessment, yes. and and I think it is tough for the folks over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does fundamentally seem like nothing has really changed, right? I agree. It's frustrating. Every, every day it's frustrating. I talk to companies every day who want to do the right thing and you have a platform that's making it very challenging to do so. Mm. Um, so, But it's challenging for them as well, right, in terms of, of what they can't do. It's challenging for YouTube. Mm. It's challenging only because I think that they have chosen to not change their platform. They built mm. this, they could rebuild it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of investment. Um, I think it's a matter of having conversations again with the ecosystem that's engaging on your platform. Um, I don't think that, especially in the kids space, you can solely rely on algorithms. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing that that just doesn't work. Um, the notion that you upload content to YouTube, an algorithm determines whether or not it belongs on YouTube kids. If I'm a parent, I have a device. I've logged on to my Facebook. I've logged on to my Gmail. So my device believes me to be at least over 13. I hand my device over to my eight-year-old who wants to watch Peppa Pig. They don't have to go to YouTube, kids. They could just go to YouTube and watch it. The problem there, as you know, is that now they're getting served ads that are appropriate for someone who's over 13. Um, so what is the solution? I, th- I You know, we've talked to Google about multiple solutions. I like the solution of having a a toggle at the top before the parent hands the device over just says kid viewing and just shuts it all down. Right. Um, you know, maybe... Sort of put, puts it into anonymous mode effectively. Exactly, exactly. A zero data collection mode, hmm. right? Um, the other option possibly is maybe YouTube is mixed audience. Maybe you shut down YouTube kids and you do a mixed audience model and you ask for age solely for the purpose of determining what environment they get and what ads are served. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what the solution is, but I do think there is a solution that not just works for YouTube, but also works for the content providers and and the advertisers. Right. But everyone's got to get in the room, mm. I think, to have this conversation. It's 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 become this enormous ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it is. It seems like a challenge for everybody, and you know, there are increasingly public rumors about the discussions that are going on between YouTube and the FTC. Um, I mean, do you think the horizon on some sort of outcome there is is sort of, you know, short term, medium term or long term in terms of, of something? It, it's got to be short term. Look, I can't imagine that the FTC is not feeling some heat on this. Right. They got a letter from 23 plus consumer watchdogs last year with regards to YouTube and their data collection practices with regards to children um, that they're in strict violation of COPPA. Um, this is not new. This is mm. not a new conversation. It's been ongoing. And the practices don't seem to be changing from the platform perspective, right? You still have companies who are having a lot of challenges. Um, I can't imagine that this doesn't get addressed by the end of this year. Mm. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. Um, I'd be, I would be disappointed if it doesn't get addressed by the end of this year. Right. And w- when you look at the investment they've made into... YouTube Kids, which is really one of the very, very few pieces of, in, of kid tech investment that we've mm. seen any of the major technology right. companies make. I mean, it, it's become quite popular in terms of downloads, but it really hasn't changed behavior. That's right. I, I mean, what? why do you think that hasn't worked? I, I, I don't know. I just, I just think that they're so focused on the technology, not looking at the result or the outcome or having conversations again with the entire ecosystem to say, is this actually working? Mm. Is this changing anything? Because 
you know, the laws that we have right now are basically TV centric. You can't apply those laws to YouTube. The way children consume media, the way they consume content is not the way that they did it 10, 15 years ago. Mm. So the Children's Television Act, as good as it is, you can't apply that right. to YouTube. Um, we've got to find a way to also just bring the laws up to date, but the technology continues to outpace it all the time. So, which is one of the things I like about COPPA. It's a very nimble law mm -hmm. um, and drafted quite broadly, at least COPPA 1.0 was. Um, I would hope that they continue to do that if, if Marky is going to go down this road, that they continue to make it as nimble as possible and easy to navigate with technology changing. But apart from that, I just think that the behavior is what it is because the platform is limited, right? They've, they've just put limitations on it um, and they made a huge investment on creating it. They did not make a huge investment on how do we continue to make this more progressive? How do we address these issues? I mean, do, do you fundamentally believe that Silicon Valley is incompatible with kids? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I, I would actually, based on what we're seeing, I, I, I have to say yes. I just don't think they see it as a huge problem. Maybe they're seeing it now, mm. maybe today. And is that a function of, of people getting older and having children or more attention being drawn to this? Or? I think it's a combination of things, right? I think you have these young developers who are now growing up, having kids and saying, hey, wait a second, that thing I created five years ago is kind of put my kid in harm's way. Right. Um, I do think that that's definitely happening. Um, but I do think, again, it's a culmination of the conversation that's happening in the ecosystem. Yeah. And a $5.7 million fine is not something to, to ignore, right. right? And then you had the New York State AG had a case with mm -hmm. AOL and off, and that was $5 million. Um, So the numbers are getting higher. Um, I quite frankly think that they're still low. I think if you really want to have impact, you've got to hit them hard. Start adding zeros. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's move let's move the comma. Are you expecting big fines to come out of GDPR and GDPRK yes. over the next year or two? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the one thing about I think the EU is that they're not shy about huge fines. And they also have a very strange relationship with major technology companies. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, that is very true. The um, when you think about the future mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite questions to ask you know? <laughs> so it's 2019 mm -hmm. we're sitting in tesla's former residence <laughs> um, if we sit down in 2024 um what do you think has changed what do you think the future of children's digital privacy looks like donna um i think that we have new legislation mm -hmm. i think that we have a better ecosystem globally i think that the mission of companies getting into this space, um, top of line for them, is kids' privacy, is kids' safety. I mm -hmm. do think in five years from now, we won't have to have this conversation. Hmm. Hmm. That's my hope. And I, I work in aspiration, as my team will tell you. I, I live in aspiration and hope. So that means in five years' time, we can have a conversation about your musical background and we right. can talk about record <laughs> labels. That's, that's right. That's, that's fantastic. Right. Well, Donna Fraser, um, director of Caru, thank you so much for joining us here on Kid Tech. Um, for everybody listening, um, thank you for joining. Please tell a friend if you think they'd be interested in it. You can get this on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spotify, and basically anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you. <laughs>